On the first day of meeting the head of the cardiac rehab at this hospital, I'm sitting face to face at a table like we are right now. I was literally sticking a pen into my leg under the table. I was like trying to squeeze into my, like dig my nails into my thigh, anything to stay awake. And my brain was just shutting off. I could not stay awake. That same day, driving my car home from the hospital, I fell asleep in the tunnel and I woke up inches from the wall. I got out the tunnel at the other end, I pulled over in Rush Cutters Bay and I slept in my car for half an hour. I could not keep my eyes open. That level of exhaustion obviously is beyond normal. So that was the first time I was like, wow, this is getting scary. There might be something big going on in the background that we don't know about. We don't know about. That's Drew Harrisburg. And this is episode 158 of The Proof Podcast. beautiful friends welcome back to another episode here we are an absolute pleasure to be here with you and for those who are tuning in for the first time thank you so much for finally joining us gracing us with your presence i'm simon hill host of this show nutritionist physiotherapist and author please do sit back relax and enjoy the episode If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating 2 to 3 pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. 
After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Growing up, almost no health problem. Super healthy kid, all the energy in the world, could eat whatever I wanted. Impossible for me to gain weight. I was sort of just getting away with it for many, many years. Diabetes was Firstly, I had no idea what it was. No idea. But secondly, chronic disease just was not on the radar. There was no chance that I thought that I was going to be the guy to get a chronic disease. Like my parents are doctors. I eat what I thought at the time was a healthy diet. I'm super active. You know, I'm spending a lot of time outdoors. I'm a healthy weight. I'm heavily into my sports, performing well. I'm not going to get a chronic disease. Like it wasn't on the radar and it wasn't for my parents either. I felt invincible, which... uh, (laughs) in a sense, made the diagnosis even more difficult because I had this mentality like I was immune to any chronic disease. You sort of think, you just hit a certain age, you're like, oh, I'm disease-free, I'm not going to get a disease. You know? I finished school, went to uni, did this Bachelor of Science in Exercise and Sport. So I decided as part of my accreditation to become an exercise physiologist that I'd go do some work experience at a hospital. And so I would have been about 20, maybe 21 at this stage. And again, at this point in my life, I felt pretty damn good. There seemed to be nothing wrong. And I started doing this accreditation with the hospital. And over those weeks that I was doing it, rapid, rapid changes started to happen, right? To my body, I was noticing physically things were changing. The first things I started to notice were I had these like signs of intense inflammation throughout my body. So I had these like chronic shin splints. I was playing a lot of rugby at the time. And I'd have to get to the game 45 minutes before the game to warm up my shins so that I could just run. And then once the game was over, I was in agony for like a couple of days. So my shins were, were flaring up. I was noticing that my sinuses were constantly congested. I was in this state of like systemic inflammation, just did not feel good. Those were sort of non-diabetic related signs and symptoms. We thought I was overtraining and under-recovering. Because disease wasn't on the radar, we just thought it had to be something to do with my, my everyday lifestyle, something I was doing. But then when I was doing this work experience at the hospital, I was noticing that I was waking up every night drinking water. I was so thirsty. I had to just drink, 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 sculling water, always needing to go to the toilet, constantly hungry, constantly tired. Like I'm talking, this story makes me feel sick when I even say it, but on the first day of this uh, meeting, the sort of the head of the cardiac rehab at this hospital, I'm sitting face to face at a table like we are right now. And I fell asleep in the interview. I was literally sticking a pen into my leg under the table I was like trying to squeeze into my, like dig my nails into my thigh, anything to stay awake. And my brain was just shutting off. I could not stay awake. That same day, I fell asleep driving my car home from the hospital. I used to drive uh, through the Cross City Tunnel and I fell asleep in the tunnel and I woke up inches from the wall and I just swerved back into my lane. Again, slapping myself, like trying anything to stay awake just to get through the tunnel I got out the tunnel at the other end. I pulled over in Rush Cutters Bay and I slept in my car for half an hour. I could not keep my eyes open. So that, that level of exhaustion, it, it's obviously is beyond normal. So that was the first time I was like, wow, this, this is getting scary. Like there might be something big going on in the background that we don't know about. I went to some pretty negative places. I did a silly thing to do. Don't ever do a Google search of these things because apparently according to Google, I, I had multiple different types of cancers and other things. Like I was really, it was so scary. So 
I thought the best thing to do is tell my parents who are doctors. I just said to my, my folks, guys, please send me for a blood test. There's something wrong. Like I had lost so much weight. I was super, super skinny, you know, and I was an athletic guy. Like I was in the gym often and my muscle was just wasting away. I was training hard, getting weaker, losing muscle. My rugby coach was like, Drew, you got to start eating more. Like you're actually getting too small to play. I was a fullback. He's like, you, you need to put on some size. And I'm like, mate, I'm eating all day, every day, whatever I want. I can't gain weight. In fact, I'm losing weight. You know, I caught myself in the mirror a couple of times. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happened to me? Like I'm wasting away. So like I said, I mentioned to my parents, send me for blood tests. We've got to figure out what's going on. So we did. We went for blood tests and we got a whole bunch done, like eight, nine, 10 tubes of blood, just to check for everything. And there were a couple of very, very key blood results that came back. The first one was what's called an HbA1c, which is basically a three-month average blood sugar level. Now, in somebody without diabetes, it should absolutely be in, in the normal range. Mine came back outside of the normal range. Very minor. I think it was the upper end of the normal range, I believe, is about six. I think mine came back at like 6.3 or 6.5 or something which just didn't seem right. So my parents straight away were really nervous about that. Then they, we got back another blood result, which kind of confirmed what was about to happen next. And this result was autoimmune antibodies. They came back in the thousands to my islet cells or beta cells of the pancreas. So that was a sign that there was an autoimmune attack going on behind the scenes. It's a silence attack. It could happen for years. It might've been happening for 10 years without me knowing it. And then you get to this point where it starts to become symptomatic in all the things I just explained before. So we got these antibodies back. We got the HbA1c back and we went to the RPA hospital to the diabetes clinic where my dad ironically was and is one of their biggest diabetic eye surgeons. So he works with them very closely. So we went there and we said, okay, so here's the results. And we sat down with an endocrinologist and a diabetes educator and a whole bunch of people. And they've looked at my results and they said, listen, Drew, you... It looks like you are on your way to potentially developing type 1 diabetes. You don't have it yet because your fasting glucose was normal, but you've got antibodies. So this might mean that you might get diabetes in the next five days, five years. We don't know. Maybe you won't get it at all. But what we're going to do is we're going to give you this blood glucose meter. You're going to go home and you're going to just measure your blood sugar throughout the day. If you ever see a number that is above, I can't remember what they said, but it was like eight or nine or 10, come straight back to the clinic immediately. So took this meter home. And at this point, like, just, just keep in mind, I, one week before this was invincible. And now all of a sudden I'm staring down the barrel at this potential diagnosis of a lifelong chronic disease that I know nothing about. The mental turmoil of being kind of in that no man's land. They're like, you don't have it yet, but you might get it. Just monitor was really scary. So I'm like praying and fingers crossed that I don't get this thing. And I'm, I'm measuring my blood sugars and it seems to be fine for the first couple of weeks. So I'm measuring my blood sugar when I wake up, it's fine. Measuring it after meals, absolutely fine. And then I'm starting to get the confidence. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to get diabetes. My blood sugars are great. I remember one morning waking up, testing my blood sugar, and it was outside of the normal range. So it was about 7.5. And I was very frightened. I was like, oh my goodness, is this the first sign that you know maybe this autoimmune attack is just gone on too long and I'm running out of, out of time here. This, it's actually going to happen. So I retested and again, it was 7.5. So myself and my father went to the clinic and on our way, we stopped off and got some breakfast, had a big piece of sourdough toast with avocado or whatever it was. And then we sitting face to face with this diabetes educator and she's like, okay, show me your last two weeks of blood glucose. Let's see how you're going. 
So I show her, she's like, ah, it's all good, looks normal. Then she said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new meter to try because we've just got a new one in. Give this one a go. She gets this new device and she hands it to me. She's like, just show me how you test your bloods just so I can see you're doing it correctly. So I prick my finger, I squeeze the little blood drop out and I insert it into the meter and the result flashes on the screen, 16. And her face goes white as a ghost because she's worked with my dad for 10 years. They're very close colleagues. I looked at my dad. He was in a state of panic. I could see inside and I was just like, what happened? She's like, it says 16, but there might be a mistake. My dad's like, there's definitely a mistake with the meter. Go get a new one. There's no way my son is like, like total denial. She went and got a new meter, tested it again. Same result, 16. And we went and did another HbA1c test, which is they have a device there that can do a quick one on the spot. And it came back elevated. And that was pretty much the moment. And that was, you know, the phrase, the world caved in. That was the day I saw it. Like the, the actual, the atmosphere around me looked different. The world looked different. It was the, it was the lowest moment of my life that I was diagnosed with this chronic, you know, incurable lifelong condition with really scary long-term complications, sitting next to my dad who, you know, spent his whole life trying to save the vision of people suffering from diabetes and now his son had it. And, you know, this, the, the, the feeling in the room was so raw. Like we were just sitting in silence. We all had tears in our eyes. It was like, okay, it actually happened. I've got diabetes now. And, and that was it. So the very first question I asked was, why did I get this? Like, what causes diabetes, type 1 diabetes? And their answer was, we don't know what causes it. It's an autoimmune attack. It just kind of happens, which for me wasn't good enough. I wanted real answers. I just need to understand why me. You know, of course I was in that denial and that stage of the why me, why me. So getting that answer saying we don't know what causes it left me even more confused. It's like, we don't know what causes it. Now I've got this thing. Well, how do I manage it? And yes, I was told that life will be different with diabetes. You know, insulin is as a therapy, when you, when you take insulin exogenously as a diabetic, it's very, very dangerous if you, if you get the dose wrong. Absolutely fatal. I was told that my next few days would be about monitoring my blood sugar levels and just living the lifestyle I usually would, but collecting data so that when we collect two, three, four days of data, then we can look at implementing insulin. So the next day, wake up. I guess I didn't actually wake up because I, I couldn't sleep that night. I was so disturbed and distressed. But the very next day, I checked my blood sugar and it was through the roof, probably like 15 or something. I decided that I was going to eat my breakfast and go to the gym as I usually would. So I ate breakfast. It was a meal that I would usually eat. I think it was like banana, oats, yogurt or something. My blood sugar shot up to 25. And when I saw that it was 25 after that meal, it was heartbreaking. Like it really, really upset me. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to the gym and do what I usually do. So I went into the gym and I did this like awesome, like full body, you know, circuit training every muscle group in the body and kind of just really getting a good sweat on. It was only about 45 or 60 minutes in the gym. The environment of being in the gym was like, you can't think about anything but your next rep. So it was just this beautiful escape for 60 minutes where I could just go to this place where I, what I do every day. Anyway, I did the great workout and finished up, checked my blood sugar, expecting it to be 25. And this was the moment that literally changed my life was that the number came back saying five in the normal range, perfect blood sugar. So my blood sugar had dropped from 25 down to five in 60 minutes of exercise. And keep in mind, I'm not taking insulin. I've been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. I'm not producing insulin. 
So I was just, I could not believe that my blood sugar had come back to the normal range. It was the most empowering moment ever. For the first time since being diagnosed, I actually had this little glimmer of hope that I can control this thing. It led me to sort of research, like what was the mechanism? Like how the hell did my blood sugar just go from 25 to 5 in 60 minutes if I don't have insulin? Because we're taught that insulin is the hormone that regulates blood sugar. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease. Like I said before, it's the immune system attacks the cells of the body. In the case of type 1, it's the beta cells that produce insulin. And when those cells are destroyed, you can no longer produce insulin. So as a type 1 diabetic, you have to either take multiple daily injections of insulin or you go on an insulin pump. So when I finished this workout and I realized that, hey, I don't even have any insulin. And if insulin is the thing that gets the glucose out of the blood into the cells, how did the glucose get into the cells? Like I had to know that answer. So it turns out that we actually have another mechanism that can open what's called like a glucose gateway to the cell. Insulin is one of the mechanisms. So when insulin binds to its receptor, it basically stimulates a cascade of like intracellular events that stimulate a glucose transporter, which is called GLUT4, from inside the cell, which then relocates to the surface of the cell, the membrane, and it's like, it acts like a gateway that glucose can flow into the cell. Well, it turns out that exercise stimulates that exact same glucose transporter, but it doesn't require any binding of insulin. So it's called exercise-induced GLUT4 translocation or, or non-insulin-mediated GLUT4 translocation. So basically what I'd done is I'd done this full body workout. So I'd stimulated GLUT4 at all of my muscles across the body because it's site-specific as well, this GLUT4 translocation. So if you do bicep curls, you're going to translocate GLUT4 in the bicep. So when you do a full body workout, it's like your whole body turns into like this big sponge and just soaks up glucose from your whole body. That was the day that I realized not only can I control my diabetes with exercise, but that I am now empowered and responsible for taking control. Because just the day before, I was a victim and I was a slave to my diabetes. I thought insulin was the only thing that could help me. But that gave me the power to understand that lifestyle factors play a massive role in this. Diabetes has given me so much more than it's taken from me. And it took me years to get to this point, but I finally realized that the adversity that I went through in getting this chronic disease was in a sense a gift because it has totally changed my values in life. It's totally changed my perspective on myself and the world. And it's given me things that I would never have been able to achieve without this diagnosis. It's given me a platform to reach a lot of people. It's given me the ability to educate people and inspire and motivate and created a career for me. It's really given me a lot. So Adversity is not something that we need to fear, that we actually need to embrace it because the opportunity for growth is immense. There we go. How did that one land for you? I hope that you found it interesting, instructive, illuminating, all the things. Of course, if you did, please do share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected too. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. That's at plant underscore proof. And on that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.